Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, episode 62. I hope you guys are all shocked and a little surprised to hear me out here. Uh, As I mentioned, I wasn't planning on doing a show, but the guilt kind of got to me a little bit, and I felt a little bad about not getting one out this week. You know, the whole haven't missed a week yet thing, and sitting back here, I figured, you know, what the heck. Uh, And as I was trying to sit back and come up with some ideas, uh, I finally figured out what I needed to do, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, Before we get into that, I do want to mention, of course, that uh, this show is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in captive, uh, quality-propagated corals, clownfish, cardinal fish, uh, and seahorses. Make sure you check out CoralDynamics.com. So, anyway, so for this week, you know, sitting back trying to come up with the topic, you know, like I said, I wanted to get something out. I just really, you know, I didn't really plan for it, so I wasn't really sure what to do. And then, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, it'd be nice if I was getting voicemails, and I realized, oh my, I haven't even checked my voicemail line in like two or three weeks. And it, lo and behold, there was a couple voicemails on there. So here I am begging and pleading for people to leave me voicemails, and there was two on there for me. And I didn't even check them. So, you know, okay, you can beat me later. But anyways, the first one uh, that was on there wasn't something necessarily for the show. Uh, It was from uh, Philippe. So, Philippe, I got your voicemail. Thank you for that. And I will follow up with you shortly. Uh, The other one was from a listener uh, that had some questions. So uh, there was actually a series of questions that this person had. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and kind of do a whole show for this person as my way of saying sorry for taking so long to get back to them. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and play through the voicemail uh, and answer the questions as they come up. So I'm going to kind of split the voicemail into various sections and and go through that. Make sure you stick around through this because I've got some stuff at the end that I wanted to mention and get out. Uh, so let's go ahead and move into the beginning of the voicemail message and start answering some of these questions. Hey there, Rob. This is Josh. Uh, my forum name is Small Fry. Uh, the first question I have is somewhat refugium-related, and uh, the, man- the Mandarin Gobi, or Dragonette, uh, is somewhat the topic, and it's probably my favorite fish. And uh, I know that it, it uh, dines ba- basically on various pods, and my question is, if you were to set up a new tank, like I'll be doing uh, maybe a couple weeks, how long would it would it take for the pod population to grow to a point where the mandarin goby uh, could survive? And with that, is there a minimum uh, refugium size to where the pods could not reproduce fast enough to be a steady food source for mandarin? This is all for a 35-gallon tall aquarium, if it helps. So Josh's first question here is a question that I see come up quite frequently, uh, and it's regarding the mandarins. Now, first of all, it's important to mention that the mandarins are not gobies. A lot of times they're classified as gobies or sold as gobies. They are not gobies. Uh, As you mentioned, they're dragonettes. Uh, So it is a mandarin dragonette. And yes, they do uh, primarily feed upon uh, small pods, uh, specifically copepods, the really, really teeny tiny ones that you can't see. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more later on after this section. 
And need, since they feed on these small little pods, uh, it's important to have a large refugium, as mentioned, or a large tank to supply uh, a ready number of uh, food source for them. Now, sometimes you can get really lucky, and you can come across one that is trained to eat frozen food or flake food. You have to be very careful with this, and if you're in a fish store and you're looking for them, uh, you really don't want to take the person's word for it. You really should try to, to see if they actually do take the food. Uh, because, uh, you know, the other thing with them is even if you do find one that is taking prepared foods, the thing with mandarins is they are very slow, very methodical eaters. So even if they are taking prepared foods, uh, you still need to be very careful because just dropping flake food into the tank is not going to be enough if you have other uh, fish in there. Because of the way that they eat, they are very slow, very methodical eaters. So the food's going to have to come down sit at the bottom of the tank and wait for them to get around to it to eat it. And usually uh, the other fish would have gobbled it all up by now or other stuff that would come along and consume it. So uh, the first thing here is if you uh, do happen to come across one uh, and are lucky enough to find one that is trained to take prepared foods, uh, then you need to find a way to actually get the food to it. Now, one one thing that I can recommend for this is if you check out uh, uh, Milev's uh, Mandarin Diner, and you can find that at his site, uh, milevsreef.com. Uh, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But basically what it is is it's a small, he, he, what he did is he set up like a small container uh, off to the size, side that had a, a hole to you know, kind of big enough to let the mandarins in, uh, but small enough to at least try to keep a lot of the other fish out of there. And uh, he was successful in using this as a way to feed uh, the mandarin uh, dragonettes. Now, for most of us that are not going to be able to get uh, a mandarin that is eating prepared food already, then what we need to do is make sure that we've got a tank that's large enough uh, to supply a pod population. Uh, and or a refugium that can, you know, needlessly do the same. Uh, now, the standard, you know, way of thinking about this and the standard, you know, general rule is that per uh, dragonette, per mandarin, you should have a 75-gallon tank minimum loaded with live rock. And that is usually enough to supply enough of a pod population to feed your, your mandarin on a regular basis. Now, Josh, you mentioned that your tank was 35 gallons, and that alone, is, you know, that in it of itself is not going to be large enough. You're not going to probably not going to be able to pack enough live rock in there to provide uh, a feeding, you know, a breeding grounds for enough pods to keep your mandarin full. And that's where your question comes in about the refugium. Now, in your case, I would probably recommend at least uh, a 40, if not a 50 gallon uh, refugium. Uh, so, you know, depending on what you're doing, uh, you know, I'm not really sure on your setup is if, if you can do a refugium that size, uh, you know, some people might just say, oh, well, why not just do a tank that big and just use a smaller refugium? Well, in some cases, you may be able to do that. In some cases, it may not suit your main inhabitants of your tank. Um, so, you know, take it as you will, uh, but you're going to you're going to need to increase uh, that so you can get the room in there to do to grow the pods and, and get that pod population up high enough. Now that being said, if you do do the smaller tank and you can't get a, a refugium that size, you can actually add copepods into your tank. So you can get the pod population growing in there and 
uh, every few weeks or so, you could add pods into your tank to help boost the population back up, uh, either adding them into the tank or into the refugium if your refugium is a little bit too small. Now, where do you get those? Well, you can buy them online. Uh, you know, a good place to buy them is actually uh, oceanpods.com. A good friend of the Talking Reef, Dr. Adelaide, uh, provides a very high-quality product. Uh, you know, you can go there and you can buy good quality copepods that you can add right into the tank. So it's a place to go if you're looking for copepods and you want to add them, you know, especially for mandarins or uh, setting up your refugium and kind of inoculating it or whatever. Now, all that being said, you know, we know we need a large area, lots of live rock. Now, let's say you do have this larger tank or, Josh, you're able to set up a, a 40, 50 gallon refugium uh or, you know, something like that. So I, you know, really 30, 40 gallons should probably be good. Um, e- either way. So you get that set up. How long do you have to wait before, you know, it, there's enough pods in there? The general recommendation, again, here is to give it at least 8 to 12 months. Uh, pod populations can take a little while to, you know, ramp up and get going real good. Uh, inoculating your f- refugium, as I mentioned, using something like copepods from oceanpods.com is a good way to kind of give it a boost. Uh, but if you go pretty much anywhere, the general consensus is you, you want to have uh, almost or about a year uh a tank that's been set up for about a year before it's going to have enough of a pod population in there to support uh, a mandarin dragonet so i hope that helps with that question uh if you have any more or need looking for any more information uh, by all means post them to the forums and we'll get in there and help you so let's move on to the second question Uh, my second question has was most likely been asked already but just in case um I've heard this. I've heard this uh, mentioned many times before in the podcast episodes and a couple times in the forums. But it's basically about dips, uh, like freshwater dips, iodine dips, like things like that. And I was just wondering why you would do them and why you wouldn't do them and what they basically what they'd accomplish. Okay, so what we're looking at here is a couple different things, and those two things are freshwater dips and iodine dips. They are used for different things, they are used to accomplish different goals, and they are used on different specimens. And for this, we'll start with freshwater dips. Freshwater dips are something that's commonly used on uh, some types of corals and most types of fish. Now, the purpose of a freshwater dip is usually to remove or get any types of parasites or anything to fall off. Uh, the fish can use, depending on the type of fish, can usually tolerate uh, a freshwater dip of up to a couple minutes. Now, I've seen reports that uh, that you should do freshwater dips as much as 10 to 15 minutes, but personally, I have had problems with anything over five minutes. I I think five minutes is even pushing it. Uh, I've started to see some real uh, stress coming from the fish, uh, you know, approaching the five-minute mark. So, uh, personally, I do freshwater dips when I do them. It's usually only two or three minutes. I try to keep it down. Uh, the point of it, you know, as I mentioned, if they have ick or any other type of parasites on it, uh, they cannot tolerate the freshwater for that length of time. So, what will happen is they will die and start to fall off the fish. Now, this isn't something that should be done in place of a, you know setting up a quarantine tank. Quarantine procedures are always the best way to do it. Uh, this is something that can be done in addition to quarantining, which is what most people do. Uh, if for some reason you, you know, and I'm not sure why, but if you absolutely cannot do a quarantine tank or whatever, then you can do a freshwater dip as a preventative measure. It will help. It's better than nothing. 
Uh, but basically, the way it's done is you get a small container, fish bowl, uh, a large, you know, bucket, something like that, uh, and you're going to fill it up with fresh water. Now, it's very important that when you do this, you want to make sure that the water temperature, pH, uh, and all that is, you know, the same as the tank water or the bag water where they're coming from. Um, you know, needless to say, it's freshwater dip, so you don't have to check salinity. Uh, it's a good idea to try to use RO water when doing this, just to you know reduce any stresses on the fish. But basically, you know, you're just going to drop the fish in there, you know, let it go for a couple minutes in there. They're going to be stressed out. It's hard for the fish to, um, you know, balance in there. It's hard for them to breathe in there. They usually will have no ill effect on the fish as long as it's only a couple minutes. I personally don't recommend anything more than four or five minutes. So, again, freshwater dips are for, you know, dropping off certain types of parasites. Now, as far as corals are concerned you really need to be careful with freshwater dips because some corals can tolerate the freshwater dips some cannot and even mo you know short freshwater dips can be uh you know very very hazardous to some types of coral so make sure you take a close look at the coral that you're getting and you understand what can and can't be done with it now for iodine dips iodine dips work a little bit different uh, what they are used for is to help uh, it, it's iodine, so it's going to help with the infections or anything on there, uh, bacteria, stuff like that, that might be on there. And, you know, iodine being, you know, an anesthetic or whatever, it's going to kill off I'll, I'll, any type of infection. So if you've got a coral or a fish, what you're going to do is you're going to have, you know, your regular tank or quarantine tank or, you know, usually smaller, and you're going to add an iodine treatment to that. So you're not dipping them in pure iodine or anything like that, but you're going to use something like a Lugol dip or something. And you're going to set up, you know, the container, you're going to get the mixture going, uh, you know, read the directions on, you know, if you're going to use Lugol's or something like that, read the directions on there to set it up properly. And then you will perform your dip there. So that's mainly the, the, the two things, you know, freshwater dips for, you know, fish and some types of corals, and they're for uh, external parasites, sometimes internal, if it, you know, the as it may vary, you know, on your, on your results with internal parasites. Um, and then the iodine dips are used for, you know, helping heal infections, and it's something you might have to do with, uh, an iodine dip a couple times to help get the infection cleared up and stuff like that. So uh, that's the two. Hope that helps you out. So let's move on to the next one. And then my last question is probably the most important to me because it's about uh, copper treatment and your and uh, your glass tanks. Anyhow, about a week a week and a half ago, I posted uh, I posted on a thread. I believe it was the fan wires thread in the lighting equipment section. Anyhow, I posted that I was converting my 35 gallon freshwater tank into a saltwater reef. And to this, Glenn told me uh, to make sure I didn't treat with copper, and I don't, and I didn't remember using any bottles with copper on them anywhere in my tank. So I told Glenn I had never treated with copper. But then a couple of days ago, I was just sitting around listening to uh, Question and Answer Show number three, and you said often ick treatment contains copper in it, and then it all clicked. I had used ick treatments many times before and uh, had never thought it would contain copper. Now that was the history, and here's the actual question. Uh, in question and answer show three, you or Matt said that, that silicone will retain metals and other things. But if it and uh, if it has, is there a way to fix the tank or 
put silicone over the existing silicone and makes the tank reefable, I guess, I guess you could say, um, without having to buy a whole new tank. Um, and this is another one that comes up from time to time, and it's regarding, you know, as mentioned, copper uh, pre co tanks that have been treated with copper in the past, old freshwater tanks or something like that. Now, it is true that copper will absorb into the seams, and um, this has been shown to cause problems when you take that tank and convert it from freshwater uh, to salt water, or whether it was a salt water, like a fish-only tank where you never had invertebrates or anything like that in it, and then you try to add invertebrates to it. So, you know, the the copper will leach out uh, into the water. So now there are, you know, way, you know the, the common ways that they get in there is through, you know, as mentioned, like ick treatments, so on and so forth. Uh, some people don't even, you know, realize that they're adding copper into there. Uh, but it's something that you definitely need to keep in mind because copper will uh, pretty much kill just about any type of invertebrate, uh, including corals, shrimp, stuff like that. So if you have a tank that you suspect has been treated with copper, uh, really the best thing to do is to uh, you know, try to get a new tank because it's, it's something that you probably don't want to take any chances with. Now, that being said, um, there might be some options. Uh, I know there was some stuff discussed on the forums that uh, I, where I had learned of different ways uh, to take care of this, because uh, my recommendation has always been, you know, don't even chance it, always get a new tank. But there were some recommendations that were made about uh, using, like, toxic metal sponges, something that will absorb that out of there. Uh, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the exact uh, ways to carry out this procedure, so... Uh, Probably posting this back into the forums, let some of the people there that were helping with the other person's thread answer on those might be might be helpful. As far as redoing the silicone seals, uh, I would imagine that that would work. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if you want to redo them or relay silicone over them. I would imagine that it would it could probably you know leach through the silicone. I mean, it's in the silicone already. The copper was absorbed into the silicone in the first place, so I would imagine it's probably possible for it to leach uh, back through, you know, a another layer of silicone if you put it on there. Again, I'm not an expert when it comes to this. I'm not sure, uh, so I probably can't offer a whole lot of help there. Uh, your two options, you know, your best two options, you know, first one, replace the tank. Uh, I know that could be cost prohibitive. Uh, the other options, uh, you know, as far as re redoing all of the silicone. That can be a little bit dangerous, especially if it's a larger tank. You want to make sure that that's done by someone who knows what they're doing. Uh, it's probably going to be too cost prohibitive to have it done professionally, but if you know somebody that knows how to do it properly that could probably take care of it for you, then that might be an option. Uh, the other options were you know, using something like a toxic metal sponge, something that you could set up the tank, put some water in it, uh, let you know, run it through this, this, this sponge material, and get it to absorb you know, the toxic metals out of there. Now, I've never used this. I cannot personally vouch for how well it works. Uh, but like I said, I know that there was some threads on the forums where people had discussed uh, even other ways that I haven't mentioned. I can't remember what they were uh, on ways to get, you know, copper out of there or to make it safe again. So uh, if you're looking for more information beyond what I've, I've mentioned here, please, by all means, make a quick post in the forums. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, you'll get lots of help on there. And last, I'd like to say uh, what a great site you're running right now. Uh, friendly community and helpful people. Uh, the first thread I posted, uh, the fan wires thread, I had the fan hooked up in about 20 minutes. 
um, since I've posted the thread. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely happy with the uh, form of your site. And uh, I pretty much came over from AquariumPros.ca, and if you've ever heard of it, it's a fairly huge site. And I posted the exact same thread, and uh, even though they have about three times your people, I still haven't had it answered. So, yeah, I'm very happy I found you, I found you guys. Thanks a lot, Rob. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Again, Josh, I wanted to thank you for sending that in and really apologize. I'm really sorry that it took so long for me to get around to it. Usually uh, I try to get those answered much quicker than that. So... Here you go. You got an entire show all for you. Well, at least an entire topic all for your questions. So, again, anybody else that wants to send in questions uh, through the voicemail line, uh, we can do this for you, too. So uh, we'll give the number out at the end of the show. Uh, In the meantime, uh, I wanted to move on to a couple other things that I I needed to mention. And this was a question that, you know, had sparked up in the first question that we asked about the mandarins. And it's something that I saw come up in the forums a couple times. And I think we've answered it on the Refugium show before. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and just kind of mention it again. And it's the difference between amphipods and copepods. We commonly see the term pods uh, referred to in our forum post and stuff like that. You need to have pods. you got to have pods. And it's like, okay, how do I know if I have pods? And knowing what the pods are and what they look like uh, can help. So, you know, as I mentioned, there are two different two different types of main pod, you know, main types of pods that we're looking for. It's the amphipods and the copepods. The amphipods are the large, uh, like centimeters, you know, two centimeters, something like that, uh, that you're going to see in your tank. They're usually curly Q shaped. They look like a comma. They are noticeable. When you see them, you're going to see their body, their head, the antenna, the legs. They are small, but you'll see them. Uh, and you'll be able to s- notice the differences in the, in the different structures. You'll actually see the, the body parts on them. Uh, these are the amphipods. Now, there's the copepods, which are, are what a lot of the, you know, the stuff that eats pods, when you see something, oh, they eat pods. Uh, the copepods are usually what we're referring to. The copepods are very, very, very tiny. Uh, fractions of a millimeter. They are very small, barely noticeable to the unaided eye. If in the right circumstances, uh, on the glass, using a flashlight, you might be able to notice them. They look like a speck of dust. Uh, they're very tiny. You're not going to be, without a microscope, you're not going to make out eyes, uh, legs, you know, body. You're just going to see this little speck. So that's really the big difference in there. Those, you know, so hopefully that helps everybody understanding, you know, what they're looking for uh, when, when you're trying to determine whether you have the pods and now you know what type of pods are what. So moving on, uh, to go ahead and wrap up the show, I want to do something uh, that I haven't really done before in the past, and just kind of because this is, you know, a whatever show, you know, it's something that I'm throwing together at the very last minute, uh, I wanted to kind of give something back and give some plugs out to a lot of the other podcasts that are out there and that I listen to and that I think are good and that I think that are worth listening to and Blah, 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 whatever. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and talk about a couple of the podcast shows that I listen to and a couple of them that I think that you might find helpful. 
and um, hopefully you guys you know get some enjoyment out of them. So uh, the first two that I'm going to mention are some websites and podcast shows uh, that are reef related. I'm sure a lot of you uh, are already familiar, but if you're not, uh, Milev and Quicksilver uh, do the show called Reefcast, and that can be found at reefcast.com. Uh, it's another show that has a lot of the same uh, topics and, or content. Uh, Structure-wise, uh, that I do, they're going to go. They're going to go through various topics, questions and answers. Uh, it's a definitely more lighthearted show, uh, and it, it's not as rigidly structured or whatever. So, if you're looking for some little bit more entertainment value than what I can offer, uh, they do the show, and they've got two people in there, so it's a lot easier for them to. Um, you know, banter back and forth and have a good time in it. You know, talking to your computer by yourself is not always uh, very humorous and, and entertaining. But anyways, I do the best that I can. <laughs> so anyways, uh, reefcast.com. Uh, so the other one is Reef Videos. Now, this one's a little bit different. They're all videos. Uh, they're done in a podcast style where they're sent out through a podcast feed. Uh, but they're all videos of different types of tank tours and uh, people setting up uh, different DIY type projects and stuff like that. So um, make sure you check them out, reefcast.com and reefvideos.com, I believe, is their site also. Now, moving on into some other podcasts, and I, I'll roll through the rest of these pretty quick. Some science-related podcasts, some of the stuff that I get into a little bit is more of the uh, you know, physical sciences, astronomy, uh, physics, uh, you know, quantum mechanics, all that fun stuff there. So if you're somebody that kind of digs any of this stuff, there's two uh, podcasts that you should check out. The first one is Slacker Astronomy. Now, this is a big, well-known show that's got a huge following behind them. Uh, some great people that go into them. They're short, quick shows uh, once a week, uh, usually 20 minutes or less, usually 15 minutes or less, something like that. Um, you know, very well put together. Uh, it's called Slacker Astronomy, and they're found at uh, slackerastronomy.org. Uh, so make sure you check them out. And the other one is Big Bang and Creationism. Now, this is an interesting show, and what uh, this one is about. Uh, this is done by uh, a friend of mine, Robert Lippins, that I've I've met through doing podcasting. A very good guy, uh, but he kind of goes through various creationism, intelligent design uh, claims, and kind of brings a a true you know okay, this is what they say, this is what you know science says, and kind of does a compare and contrast on it. And they do a lot of he does a lot of discussion about various uh, aspects when it comes to the physical sciences. Uh, theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, relativity, stuff like that. So if you get into any of those, make sure you check them out. Both of them are in iTunes, so you can go to iTunes and, and just search for Slacker Astronomy or the other one that I mentioned that I just finished talking about, Big Bang and Creationism Podcast. Uh, a couple others that you might be interested. Uh, a lot of you know that I'm a Mac geek. So the first one I want to mention is the MacCast, which is the show for Mac geeks by Mac geeks, which is the way that he, you know, he put it. And this is done by uh, a great guy, Adam Christensen. Uh, does a very well put together show. They're usually released twice a week, uh, usually about an hour long, you know, 30, 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the amount of stuff. But uh, all different types of, you know, user feedback. It's a great community. Lots of questions and answers, lots of help and information and news and uh, editorials, commentaries about uh, Mac events, news and, and questions and tech help and great stuff. So if you are a Mac user, uh, this is a must listen. Uh, definitely worth checking out. 
The other one, which is more news-related, uh, this is done by a guy named Ken Ray, and this is called Mac OS Ken, and you can find both of those in iTunes. Uh, also, macosken.com, uh, maccast.com. Uh, Mac OS Ken is a daily show. Uh, every morning, uh, he puts out his show, and it's basically like the previous day's news in the world of the Mac. Uh, iPod news, Macintosh news, Apple news, you know, computers, uh, market information, stuff like that. Uh, they're quick, you know, less than you know, about 10 minutes uh, a day. Uh, great show, very well put together, very uh, professional and very funny. So he's got a lot of great humor in there. Uh, I've been listening to uh, both of these Mac shows for a long, long time. Uh, say, you know, since probably close to the beginning, uh, Mac OS Ken since the beginning, uh, and even before when he was doing another show that I won't mention. <laughs> anyway, so make sure you check those out. And the last two that I wanted to mention, uh, thanks for bearing with me if you're still hanging out. Uh, these are the two great, uh, they're called patio books. Now, the idea here is awesome. If, if you ever heard an audio book or books on tape, uh, what these guys are doing here is they are, they are writing novels. And they are releasing their novels one chapter at a time, you know, a new chapter each week. And you get each chapter through your podcast feed, and you get to check them out and listen to the story. And these are some amazing stories. The first one is called Infection. Now, this one's done by a guy named Scott Sigler, which is a just amazing writer, puts together an amazing show. Uh, you know, his book, this is his third patio book that he's done. Uh, the first one was called Earthcore. Uh, that was an excellent story. You can still find it online at patiobooks.com. His second book uh, that he did was called Ancestor. Again, just fantastic story. Uh, they're more science fiction horror type stories. Not something I would normally get into, but you know, I figured, what the heck, I'm going to give it a shot. They're free, uh, and it, they turned out to be great, great stories. And I usually don't get into the horror type stories, but you know, they had the science fiction in here. Uh, and besides, Scott's from Michigan, and I live in Michigan, so a lot of his stuff has a basis in Michigan. So uh, it was great to hear those. So. Uh, and you can find those at um, scottsigler.net. Uh, and uh, the next one is called Seventh Son. Uh, it's just another patio book done by a guy named J.C. Hutchins. Another uh, great story. Uh, so make sure you check out both of those. They, they can be found at uh, jchutchins.net. Uh, the other one, the Scott Sigler stories. Uh, the current His current story is called Infection, scottsigler.net, and Seventh Son at J.C. Hutchins. So some great podcasts that everybody should check out. And, you know, if you've got some that you like, um, post them in the forums. Let's share them around. You know, I've really come in to see how, you know, the podcast community comes together, and it's really great. So here's some of the stuff that I listen to. So why don't you go out and check some of those out too. And that's pretty much going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, just uh, a quick reminder, you know, head over to the forums, post your, post your questions. Uh, you know, some of you may have seen that uh, at least uh, on Thursday night, we kind of ran into some problems, or Thursday during the day, some problems with the sites, uh, the site not being available. We got that fixed. That was my mistake. I screwed up. Sorry, guys. Um, but head over to the site, check out the forums, get your questions, comments, several that stuff in there, and let me know how everything's going and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, and uh, check in and call out the, the listener call-in line, leave your questions, comments, introductions there. Uh, I'm checking them on a regular basis now. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, so uh, I'll get those played on the air for you. Uh, the number is 586 486 
888-344-3357. And that's going to wrap up this show this week. Uh, We got about 30 minutes worth of content, and that's pretty good for, uh, I really just kind of put the show together about 10 minutes before I started. So um, that's about it for now. So thanks a lot, guys, and I will talk to you next week.